Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 102. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. If you are just tuning in to us here at the MCAT Podcast, do me a favor and subscribe. If you're on an iOS device, subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you are on a Android device, you can now subscribe a brand new app from Google called Google Podcasts. You can subscribe there all for free. Every week you get the podcast delivered right to your device. If you're a Spotify user, you can listen on Spotify as well. Spotify is not the best podcasting platform to be able to download episodes and everything else. Uh, So check out Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever device you are using. This week we're going to continue with our Next Step Full Length 10 breakdown. Brian, back for some more full-length 10 from Next Step Test Prep. And we've been going along over the last several weeks, going through each passage, going through each discrete set, and picking the questions that are great for the podcast. And because passage five wasn't great for the podcast, we had to skip it, Um, which is sad because I wanted to cover as much as possible, but it Mm -hmm. just wasn't good podcast um, material. You can't see me, but I'm doing the little sad clown face. But yeah, it didn't. It it wasn't a really auditory passage, so yeah. we had to give it a pass. That's all right. So we're we're into another set of discrete questions, and I I know we had talked about this before, but just to refresh my memory and for the students, there is or is not a specific pattern to passage, passage, discrete, passage, passage, discrete, or or is it completely random? It's not completely random. The, there's always four sets of discretes, and the, the section always ends on a set of discretes. Um, other than that, it's it's a little kind of shifty. It shifts around a bunch. It can be either two passages and then discretes, or it can be a set of three passages and then discretes. Um, so you don't quite know exactly where they're coming. Okay. All right. So you can you flip the page and be like, all right, discretes. I don't have to read a ton here. Mm-hmm. Oh man, flip the page. Hello, 20th century. <laughs> that's that's when I took the MCAT, right? I flipped the yeah, page. Me yeah, me too. I, I had to ride my Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we took it by candlelight. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. I, I dated myself. Um, question 27. An object weighs 150 grams in air, 75 grams when fully submerged in water, and 60 grams when fully submerged in an unknown fluid. What can be concluded about the specific gravity of the unknown fluid other uh, of the unknown fluid and the order of layers 
when water is mixed with the unknown fluid, assuming the unknown fluid is immiscible in water. A, the specific gravity of the unknown fluid is 1.2, and water will be the top layer. B, the specific gravity of the unknown fluid is 0.83, and the unknown fluid will be the top layer. C, the specific gravity of the unknown fluid is 0.56, and the unknown fluid will be the top layer. D, the specific gravity of the fluid is 1.5, and the water will be the top layer. So, I hate specific gravity questions. We cover them, and I am completely thrown off every time I cover them, but I know it's good mm-hmm. learning for the audience. So, let's try to to stump Ryan. Oh, wait, I'm already stumped. Um, so... <laughs> 150 grams in air, 75 grams in water, so it's cut in half. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that tells us anything. Uh, well, but- so, yeah, let, wait, 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 let's pause there for a second, okay. right? So the thing has a, a weight in water, meaning it sinks to the bottom, like you, you put a little bathroom scale on the bottom of your pool and okay. you drop this thing in, and okay. it does sink to the bottom and weighs 75 grams on the uh, scale. Okay. So already we know this, thi- this thing, this object, is more dense than water. Yep. Uh, and given that two-to-one ratio, it probably, if we were going to take a guess, we'd say probably about twice as dense as water. Okay. And the density of water, again, is... One. One. That's what I was going to guess that, but I didn't. Yep. All right. And so 75 grams. So, okay, we can go, okay, twice as dense. I don't know if that's important yet, but we'll, we'll keep going. And then it's 60 grams when fully submerged in an unknown fluid. So it is less, it, it weighs less um, in the unknown fluid, which tells me that the unknown fluid is suspending it a little bit more than the water is. Right. And buoyant force, that kind of upward push that's suspending it, as you put it, yep. um, is proportional to the density of the fluid. So if this fluid is able to like push up on this object a little bit better, then it's denser than water. Yeah. And so the specific gravity, if it's denser, specific gravity, gravity is greater Yep, greater than one. All right, greater than one. All right, that that was a question and not a statement. Um, So greater than one, so we know that B and C are outs because those are both less than one. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, is it uh, uh, 1.2 or 1.5? And what's the math to work that out? So... I don't know that one. Yeah, so you would just look at it, the the proportional change in, in the apparent weight, right? The apparent weight goes from 75 to 60, mm-hmm. uh, and so it loses um, one-fifth of its apparent weight. Oh, yeah. uh, we know no, one-fifth is 0.2, yep. right? And so 1.2, it's just a little bit denser than water. Yep. I mean, 1.5 is, I mean, that's pretty dense, right? I mean, it's it's... The apparent if if this were one point five, the apparent weight would get chopped all the way down to fifty grams, right? It would lose a uh, another half again as much of its apparent weight. Hmm. So you, the thing with 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 buoyancy is yes, there's equations and yes, there's math. And last week when we were looking at passage four, I specifically picked, you know, on the one hand a, a passage where you had to know the equa- a question where we had to know the equation and then apply it, and then another one where you had to know the equation and calculate it. In this one, I, I don't even want to give the equation, right? Because there's uh, j- just to illustrate the point that just because there are equations in physics doesn't mean we always have to start doing calculations. 
you know, sometimes if you can just picture the scenario in your head, you know, imagine pushing and pulling and floating and sinking and ask yourself like, oh, okay, so if this stuff is super floaty, then it's very not dense. So it has its specific gravity of, you know, 0.01 or something like kind of imagine visually or physically what's being described here. Um, you can often pick answer choices that are reasonable without even, you know, applying any particular algebra without doing any particular equation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, it's one of the things I always emphasize about, especially about the physics, because students often find it to be so abstract. They think like, oh, it's, it's just this meaningless abstraction, gobbledygook of variables and letters. I memorize it and then I do some math and I get my answer and then that's all there is to it. You know, we say, no, no, this stuff is the real world. Like th this literally is the physical reality that your brain has evolved to operate in. You know, so use that monkey brain and those monkey fingers and imagine pushing and pulling and, and speeding up and slowing down and turning and floating. And I mean, that's, that's the real physics that shows up on the MCAT. So you got to trust that intuition sometimes, you know, we may not have time to do all those in-depth calculations. Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Let's take a look at number 28. <clears throat> Which of the following is most likely to be the enzyme labeled X in the figure below? Uh, and the figure is very simple. It just shows a little circle for enzyme X. It shows us that X is catalyzing a reaction in which NADP plus becomes NADPH and in which glucose 6P, which we know is glucose 6-phosphate, becomes 6-phosphogluconate. So what would catalyze a reaction of glucose 6P to 6-phosphogluconate? Our choices are glucokinase, phosphoglucomutase, gluco, glucose decarboxylase, or glucose dehydrogenase. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, Ryan, <laughs> forget the glucose part of it. You see yeah. that NADP yeah. is becoming NADPH. So it's grabbing an H. Yeah, so the only atom that's being moved around here is the hydrogen. It, which, then, if we look at the answer choices, if literally all you saw was, I see a hydrogen moving. Yeah. What would you pick? D, glucose dehydrogenase. And you're right. <laughs> easy peasy it really is it's so often with enzymes it can seem so crazy complicated but the names tell us what they do you know you gotta you gotta you know decode the name a little bit but the names do tell us what they do so glucose dehydrogenase pulls a hydrogen off glucose and slaps it on someone else in this case nadp plus uh the other ones here glucokinase we should recognize the kine k-i-n part of that that moves um a phosphate group around uh, mutases change between isomers. Um, this particular one, phosphoglucomutase, you should actually know for the MCAT uh, because it's important in glycolysis. It changes um, G1P to G6P, glucose 1-phosphate to glucose 6-phosphate. Important step at the beginning of glycolysis. Uh, decarboxylase does exactly what it sounds like, takes off a carboxy group, a CO2 group. And like we said, dehydrogenase pulls off a hydrogen. Nice. Okay. Question 29, which of the following best describes the primary cellular energy source, ATP? A, ATP contains a pentose sugar and a purine base. B, ATP contains a pentose sugar and a pyrimidine base. C, ATP contains a hexose sugar and a purine base. 
or DATP contains a hexose sugar and a pyrimidine base. So pentose purine, pentose pyrimidine, hexose purine, hexose pyrimidine. And this is probably something you just need to know walking into the MCAT. Yeah, you should be able, if I just gave you a piece of paper and a pen before you take the MCAT and said, draw me ATP, you should, like, no joke, you should be able to draw ATP from memory. Okay. So five-sided sugar, six-sided sugar, pent or hex, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so ATP is is a... it's a nucleic acid derivative, right? So it, they're all ribose sugars, which are five, five uh, carbon sugars. So okay. Those are pentoses. You know? okay. And then, uh, then adenosine. Yeah. So adenine, right? The, the mnemonic that students want to know is pure as gold, pure, P-U-R, purine, as gold, A-G, right? So a, the A in ATP is purine. Uh, and then and it's cut the pie, C-U-T, Cytosine, urosilthymine. Uh, so cut the pi, P-Y, pyrimidine. Right? Pure as gold, A and G are purines. Cut the pi, C-U-N-T, are pyrimidines. Okay. Here we go. All right. Let's do the last discrete here. Question number 30. Many processes in living cells produce free radicals. All of these molecules can perform an antioxidant function in vivo, except... So except the, the one not antioxidant. Ubiquinone, vitamin E, NADH, FAD. Mm. I know it's not B. I, I think I hope it's not B, because vitamin E, all the vitamins are like, oh, take it for antioxidant. Mm-hmm. Uh, make your skin nicer. Um, yeah. But outside of that, I so so I've reduced or I've increased my chances to 75%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And you would want to recognize NAD and NADH and FAD and FADH2 as, as classic carrier molecules that can, you know, um, get oxidized or get reduced. Um, and if you couldn't remember what ubiquinone did, um, th- that would be bad before testing because ubiquinone is <laughs> actually a really, really important molecule in the electron transport chain. So you absolutely should know it. But let's say you can't, right? Um, you could narrow it down and say, well, it has to be C or D, N-A-D-H, because that one can lose its H. Or it could be D, F-A-D, because that one can pick up the H, right? So in the in the whole redox scheme where one guy gets oxidized and one guy gets reduced, it's got to be one of those two, right? So in this case, uh, the right answer is F-A-D, because F-A-D gets reduced FADH2. And remember, somebody who gets reduced oxidizes someone else. So FAD is an oxidant, not an antioxidant. So when you when you get reduced, you're oxidizing somebody else. Mm-hmm. What's it called when you are being reduced? Is there another word for that? Um, no, no. So just being reduced, right? Yeah, so, yeah, okay. the, the effect you have on someone else can get that ant ending, right? If you oxidize someone else, you're an oxidant. If you reduce someone else, you're a reductant. Okay. That, that's kind of your job in the body to do to other molecules. <laughs> it's a class system. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So what were you saying earlier I thought you said NAD and FAD you should know as 
carrier molecules. And, and it almost sounded like you were saying, so they are antioxidants as well, right? What, what, can you clarify that a little bit? Right. So NADH, he um, reduces someone else, which would be the opposite of oxidizing someone else. So NADH could be called, theoretically, an antioxidant. Because okay. an, an antioxidant is, is a molecule whose job it is to not or anti or opposite oxidize other people. Mm. And that's, that's a fancy way of saying a reductant. Okay. Right? So if, if C was NAD instead of NADH, mm -hmm. would NAD then be an oxidant? A reductive? Right. Yeah, that would be another right answer, okay. right? If NED plus and FAD were the answer choices, they would both be right answers here, which of course could never happen. Oh, okay. All right. So it's really the having that H or not having the H plus or H2, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Exactly. All right. So there you have it. Again, we're covering next up full length 10. If you are new into this MCAT world, you should go check out the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT. It's a book that Next Step Test Prep and I put together as a basics, right? This is MCAT 101. When should you register? How do you register? Are you, uh, can you qualify for a fee assistance program? How do you study? What are the best resources? If you are just starting your MCAT journey, the pre-med playbook guide to the MCAT is what you need. So go check that out on Amazon and on a Kindle device. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. BATP contains a pentose sugar and a pyrimidine. <laughs> it's a paramelamiding dung base. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a outtake. Um, B ATP contains. <laughs> now I'm gonna crack up. Oh, I, I hope I hope you get stuck with this tomorrow as you're recording. Oh, the giggles. All right, let me take a second. No, I, here's here's what you do for this particular podcast. Don't do any outtakes. Literally play the whole thing. <laughs> no, no, no. I, no, you have to, seriously. And it, just like leave it in as an Easter egg and see who comments on it. Because um, you know that's going to get social media traction, right? People are going to think that's hilarious. Like, I think they forgot to edit this one. <laughs> no, it's going to be edited. <sighs> Perimidine. Is that how you say it? Yeah, Perimidine.